0: Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Verwappen Blog Radio, in which Brett and I will discuss such exciting topics as Palmetto State Armory, Frog Lube, the state of the AR market in 2016, whether or not 545 is dead, and finally, our SHOT Show predictions for 2016. Brett, do you have any predictions uh, right off the bat?
1: I think we're going to see a new pocket pistol uh, in 380 from Ruger.
0: Don't they already make one of those that's copied from the Kel-Tec?
1: They do, but it doesn't have as good of a trigger as their LC9S does. I think we're going to see a striker-fired version of it coming up.
0: I think we're going to see a Ruger Bullpup, probably a ripoff of an existing design, such as the Stryer Aug, and I think they'll call it the Rugog.
1: Well, maybe not this year at SHOT Show, but I bet next year we'll see a copy of the Ruger Precision Rifle from Savage or a similar manufacturer. So Ruger's not the only company that has trouble coming up with new ideas.
0: I wonder how many new 1911s we'll see this year.
1: I hope we see a bunch of polymer frame 1911s.
0: I wonder how long it'll be before we see a truly game-changing firearm product. Uh,
1: That probably won't be until we get some sort of a propellant upgrade of some sort.
0: That's what we thought we were going to see from Hornady. At least that was my guess when they... Uh, put out those snazzy marketing videos promising this game-changing, amazing development and everyone's head was going to explode and all that sort of thing. And it turned out they just fixed a problem that everyone had but didn't know existed. I mean, good on them for figuring it out and fixing it.
1: I have not heard anything about that since the original announcement.
0: I think all it did is cause a huge backup of ammunition because now no one's going to want to buy anything that has the old bullet in it. But when I look at uh, in-stock ammo, for example, I was looking for 6.5 Creedmoor recently. There's a ton of like VMAX stuff out there right now that has the old projectiles uh, without this special sheath for the polymer tip uh, to keep it from melting. And I think the distributors are going to sit on that stuff for quite a while. And eventually they'll have to blow it out because people are just going to wait to to buy this new uh, improved ammo for essentially the same price. And why wouldn't they? But then again, maybe not enough people know about it to uh, for it to make a difference. What do you think, Brett?
1: I haven't really seen anyone talking about it. I don't think it was quite as much of a game changer as Hornby
0: thought it would be. I think when you're an engineer for a company uh, working on products and you have your nose to the grindstone for a long time, and you discover something that you hadn't realized before, to you, this is this game-changing, amazing, development, you're so excited. And really, they should be given credit for that. But I think it was the marketing people that kind of over promised and made it sound like it was just an absolutely stunning development. When it kind of is, I guess, if you think about that, no one figured it out until this point. But really, they made it sound just like they had a new propellant, like bullets were going to go twice as fast. And it's just not the case. Speaking of things that are definitely not game-changing, Palmetto State Armory, or are they game-changing?
1: Well, Palmetto certainly brought inexpensive ARs to, uh, to the market.
0: I picked up six of their rifle kits or carbine kits and an extra upper just so I'd have a good basis for an opinion on their products. I've received so many questions about them really over the years, and I haven't been able to answer. All I've been able to say is, hey, I haven't use their stuff ever. I can't really give you a good answer either way, but here are the companies that I have used and I do recommend. So now I'll have some sort of basis for an opinion.
1: I've handled several of them. Uh, Some of them feel kind of rough. Some feel a little bit better, but I've never seen any major issues with a Palmetto build.
0: Well, about 10 years ago, I started out, well, I started out buying AR stuff more than 10 years ago, but about 10 years ago, I really got moving with AR stuff by buying some Model 1 sales kits. And astoundingly, they're still in business and they're still selling the same products at the same prices, which means people are still buying their products, which absolutely mystifies me. And at that time, I paid about $200 more per kit for Model 1 sales uh, compared to what I've been paying for the Palmetto stuff. And objectively, I'm getting better parts with the Palmetto build. I'm getting barrels that have uh, nitride finish or treatment instead of phosphate uh, or even just, you know, bare barrels that don't have any chrome lining on the inside like Model 1 sales kits are. Uh, 1 in 7 twist barrels instead of 1 in 9. Full auto carriers with properly staked keys instead of AR-15 carriers that don't have any sort of staking on the gas keys at all. And all of this for, like I said, about $200 cheaper per kit. So that's pretty big. So that would allow you to complete an AR-15, including buying a rear sight, buying a couple magazines, buying a lower receiver, maybe even replacing a few small parts that you thought weren't up to uh, your standards, all for about 500 or maybe 550 bucks tops. And that's hard to beat. I mean, that's that's Glock money, or that's less than a lot of AKs are now.
1: Yeah, I've seen full kits. Uh, minus the receiver on Palmetto's website for $389. I'm sure during some of their sales, they go even lower.
0: Yeah, I think a couple of the kits I picked up were cheaper than that. Of course, they didn't have a forward assist or ejection port cover, which I really do like. Uh, To me, the forward assist is something every AR should have. A lot of people fixate on that you shouldn't use the forward assist to uh, pound a, a round into the chamber to get the rifle and battery, but especially when the rifle's new. For example, I went out and test-fired these kits the other day, and I pulled the charging handle all the way back and let it go, and it didn't go fully into battery because it's new, it's stiff. Uh, Probably the action springs they supplied weren't the greatest. And I had no way of getting it into battery without pulling the charging handle all the way back again and letting it go until it finally decided to go into battery. Now, after that, I didn't have any problems. Uh, after I shot him, I did the same thing and no problems, they went into battery, but it's just another thing where if I know it's safe for that round to go into the uh, into the chamber, a forward assist is a really good thing to have.
1: I think most people will be okay without having a forward assist or dust cover, but at least for me, not having a shell deflector would be a, a deal killer for me. There's no way I would want to rifle it uh, the ejected brass straight to my face if I was shooting offhand.
0: You're not left-handed, are you? No. Okay, good. I thought we'd have to not be friends anymore
1: but I shoot off amp sometimes.
0: Well, that's good to practice. Um and I do have to say it's kind of annoying when the uh the cases are just hitting the side of the receiver now they flip all the way back and hit the side of the receiver and make huge brass marks there. So what I guess it's cheaper to manufacture um but when people try to tell me that it's actually an advantage for them to not have a forward assist, I just I can't I can't deal with that.
1: I think that most people buy a rifle that has the forward assist and dust cover because it looks more like a real M4. And I think that's why Smith & Wesson started making their M&P Sport uh, with the forward assist and dust cover now, just because it's going to sell a lot better, even though I think very few people are ever going to use those.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: But most people aren't as tactical as you.
0: I'm not even as tactical as me. One thing I noticed was that their lower parts kits had some metal injection molded or MIM parts. MIM, including the trigger and the hammer.
1: Well, MIM has definitely come a long way from where it used to be. In fact, I think Smith & Wesson's using uh, a MIM barrel in the Bodyguard 380.
0: I don't know what to think of that.
1: I've never seen one blow up. So it must be good enough to hold the pressure of a 380 at least.
0: My thoughts on MIM are that I'm not uh, 100% afraid of it or 100% opposed to it. One of the common arguments I hear about MIM or metal injection molded parts is that if you've flown on a commercial airliner, you've put your life uh, in the hands of MIM parts because many of the components there are metal injection molded. Uh, Therefore, stop worrying about it in your gun. And that's true. There are a lot of MIM parts in, in many things that we use nowadays. It's a common manufacturing process. But in the case of that commercial airliner and to a lesser extent, the Smith & Wesson Bodyguard 380, Those parts were laid out or designed by an engineer who made a decision to use that process based on it being safe and reasonable, uh, and also economically feasible. It's not like someone came along and made a business decision to replace something that was milled from bar stock with a MIM part just to save money. And that's the case with a lot of these firearm components, AR-15 components uh, that are suddenly being made with metal injection molding instead of whatever the old process was. And maybe in some cases it doesn't matter, but it's still something I'm concerned about. And in this case, it kind of looks like, well, it looks like they just wanted to save money wherever they could. And from an assembly standpoint, I'm not impressed at all with, with the PSA quality, but it doesn't seem to affect function. So that's important to keep in mind.
1: Have you taken any of those rifles apart and seen how tight the barrel nut is or looked at anything else?
0: Yeah, of the seven, I've taken three uppers completely apart uh, down to the individual components. Um, They were all pretty similar, which is good, except they were similar in bad ways, too. So, for example, the way they drill the front sight base uh, taper pin holes is sort of haphazard. You'll have some that are drilled deeper or larger than others. So you'll have one pin that sticks out farther than the other on one side or one pin that's really easy to punch out and the other that's really difficult. Uh, the front sight bases are not at all uh, aligned properly. Some of them are pretty much straight up and down, and others are canted uh, a certain distance. I haven't tried to zero them all, so I can't tell if it's a, a functional problem, but they're, some of them are definitely crooked. The barrel nuts, so far they've been torqued properly. They didn't use any sort of anti-seize, which I guess isn't absolutely necessary, but I kind of like to see that. I think that's uh, the proper way to put these together. So that was a bit discouraging. The flash hiders are also crooked, like every single one is is off to a certain degree. So none of these things stop the rifle from working, and you wouldn't even notice them if you didn't know what to look for. But it just gave me the impression that they were assembled like in a real hurry by people that just didn't care or didn't know enough uh, to know how to care. And that's not a comforting feeling for me in something I'm going to bet my life on. But I think it speaks to the design of the rifle and that they all still work. And as I said before, you can replace some of these parts. So if you don't like the fact that it has a MIM uh, hammer and trigger, you can go buy a Geissele, uh drop-in trigger that'll be you know, fantastic and better than any stock AR trigger. And your, the total cost of your rifle will still be like, what, $600?
1: I'm not sure I would go right to one of the best triggers out there. I'd probably put like a Rock River or something that's a little more in line with the price of the rifle.
0: Well, that's a good point. I'm just saying that if you want to, with the money you saved, you can kind of splurge in other areas. So instead of buying, well, for example, I mean, one of the rifles I really like is the the Spikes M4LE or whatever they're calling it nowadays. So that's, say, $800. Uh, With the money you save by getting a PSA kit and a lower, you could buy an Aimpoint point. Pro, for example. But you're probably right, I mean, and the Rock River Trigger is actually really good. I just am now addicted to Geisley stuff.
1: As am I. Although I did put an LMT two-stage trigger in one of my rifles recently, and I was very impressed by it.
0: Well, there's a lot of competition nowadays, so if these products aren't performing, they're going to go by the wayside pretty quick. I think that brings us to one of our other topics, which was just the state of the AR market this year. We've seen some radical price drops on a lot of things. Now, Palmetto State Armory has been selling their kits for a while, but some of these other parts seem to be dropping rapidly. For example, rails. I've noticed a lot of rail prices, uh, just what you would think. For example, I've noticed rails being sold for exceptionally low prices. At first, I thought it was just an anomaly or some sort of you know final closeout price, but I'm seeing $200, $300 rails sold for between 50 and and $100. And it seems to be consistent uh, across various distributors and dealers.
1: Barrels are really cheap, too. You can find a somewhat decent barrel for 90 bucks. And complete AR-15s, I don't see how they could get any cheaper.
0: Yeah, I picked up a couple barrels recently. Well, those Faxon barrels. I mean, I, I didn't like the Faxon ARAC upper, but their barrels are really good. I paid $150. Bucks. They're even cheaper now. They're like $120 bucks for a barrel with a gas block that's already pinned. It's kind of hard to beat that, and they're good barrels. It's not like they're junk barrels that rounds are going to come sideways out of after 50 rounds.
1: No, they are not Mossberg MMR barrels.
0: (laughs) I haven't, uh, I didn't even know Mossberg was making ARs. Uh, I guess I've really been out of the loop on a few things.
1: Yes, Mossberg makes a very rough AR, and I've heard of barrels being shot out after between 1,000 and 2,000 rounds.
0: I'm surprised that anyone who would buy a Mossberg AR would actually fire 1,000 to 2,000 rounds through their rifle.
1: Well, fortunately, barrels are easy to change out, and they're cheap.
0: Yeah, I think that's something people overlook. They they obsess over the quality of the barrel in a rifle, when if they just keep shooting, they're going to run that barrel out pretty fast, and you know, hey, it's time to replace it and move on. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a good barrel, or that good barrels aren't worth the money, but you can't be married to it. Although I guess you could put a ring on a barrel.
1: I don't have a ton of experience with uh, very inexpensive barrels, but I've used quite a few mid-range barrels and some high-end barrels, and r- really, barrels between about the hundred and fifty to two hundred dollar price range perform very, very well in my experience.
0: I like to wait until things are on sale. Uh, the Daniel Defense uh, hammer forged barrels, I think, are excellent. They normally sell for, I think, close to three hundred dollars, like two seventy-five or something. But I see those on sale often enough that I'll wait, even if I have to wait six or eight months, and then you can pick one up for 150 to 200 bucks. And I think those are excellent, excellent barrels.
1: I think you'd have a hard time finding someone that disagreed with you.
0: I have to admit, I did get a little drunk the other night and start to wonder if Hart would rebarrel my Ishapur Enfield currently in 308. Uh, into a 6.5 Creedmoor.
1: A 6.5 Creedmoor infield would be more of an Abomination than a 9mm
0: 1911. Yeah, but you own a 9mm 1911.
1: Yeah, yes, I own one. Okay, it would be more of an Abomination than a 300 Blackout AK-47. Uh,
0: People are apparently spending like 1200 to $2,000 on those.
1: I don't get it.
0: Hey, we took this rifle in this caliber that works really well, and we made it in this other caliber... That does the exact same thing ballistically except doesn't work as well in the rifle and also it costs four times as much
1: the only advantage of 300 blackout over 762 by 39 is that you can shoot or that there's readily accessible uh subsonic ammo available but suppressing an ak has never worked that well from what i've seen and there are some kits to reduce the uh the noise from the the gas escaping around the piston. But I don't see why you'd re-engineer the AK so it can shoot subsonic ammo when the AR does it perfectly fine.
0: I think part of it is uh, a lot of people are still holdouts uh, and believe that a suppressed AR will never run well, uh, and that it needs to have a piston. But really, to me, suppressed rifles, even if you're shooting subsonic, I mean, I've heard suppressed, subsonic 300 blackout from several hundred yards away. And I know instantly what it is now. Sure. It's more hearing safe. I guess it'd be better for the neighbors if you're shooting like in your backyard or something, but it's not like it's this, I hate to use this phrase, but it's not a game changing, you know, super quiet, uh, amazing product. Like it's better. Yes. But I don't think like to me, it's not worth spending the money.
1: Well, ballistically it's almost identical to a uh, 45 ACP.
0: So does that mean it has one-shot knockdown power?
1: No, because 30 caliber isn't big enough. It has to be 45.
0: But speaking of things that are expensive and over-engineered and have pistons, you and I are now owners of high-end, expensive boutique ARs.
1: That is correct. This is my first piston AR as well.
0: I've had a couple things over the years, I guess, if you include T&E loaners, and I think I bought a kit once. just to try it out but yeah we both own lwrc's now that's kind of weird it's just
1: where the ar market is it's hard to pass that prices sometimes
0: yeah it really is i mean when you see an ar kit uh, at 380 bucks or whatever it costs and lowers for 40 bucks it's just crazy you can't really pass that up without you know picking up one of them and in this case uh we see, well you saw it I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out to me lwrc m6a2 uppers brand new uh, without sights for 700 bucks, or with sights for 800 bucks, It's hard to pass that up, even just as a novelty item.
1: I'm sure LWRC would love hearing their rifles referred to as a novelty item.
0: Well, I remember writing about the LWRC Reaper, I made a video, and I don't think they were super thrilled with my conclusions in that video. But I guess it'll be interesting to see what I think of this upper.
1: I might need to buy a direct impingement conversion kit and put it on mine.
0: Yeah, you know, the D-I-C-K is really what you need for that rifle. I think that was probably the best joke I've ever come up with, and nothing I've come up with since has been as good or or funny, and I should just stop trying to be funny. However, for anyone interested in buying one of these novelty items, uh, CDNN currently has what looks like a lot of them in stock. Um, I tried adding 100 of the M6A2 uppers with sights to my cart, and it allowed me to do that, so maybe they have at least 100 of them left, uh, in which case, I guess, good for them for buying that mini. Uh, they shipped really fast too. I mean, I ordered mine on the 12th and today's the 14th and it showed up. So, hey, excellent. <laughs> good job on, on that. That was one of my big frustrations with Palmetto State Armory. I actually canceled a couple of orders because they were taking so long. You know, if, if a company charges my card, I expect it to ship fairly quick, unless they've told me it's going to take longer. Now, Palmetto does have a disclaimer on their site saying it'll take seven to 10 business days. Uh, I canceled those orders well outside that range because uh, I I don't feel like loaning out $600 at a time to random companies. If it's a small company and you have to buy the components to put something together, then I totally get charging me before you you ship it. But a big company like Palmetto, I don't need to help uh, float their line of credit.
1: Everything I've ordered from Palmetto, I've expected not to see it for
0: about a month. Yeah, some of my items shipped right away and I had them in a few days. Uh, some things I got ship notifications for, but the uh, the tracking didn't update for like a week. And then it ended, up, it ended up being like two weeks for me to get the item. And then other things just said processing for almost a month. That's, that's really frustrating to me. So I guess that's something to keep in mind if you're going for a, a Palmetto build. You may get it right away, you may not, and you won't really get much communication from them uh, either way. Sorry I took us on a tangent there, but we should really get back to the current state of the AR market. There
1: are a lot of companies that need cash flow right now, especially companies that specialize in AR-15s and the components. And if you can catch them at the right time, you can find some incredible deals on those items.
0: You and I really lucked out. Uh, which company was that, ammo to go a couple months back? They had just crazy prices on everything from 10.22 magazines to AK magazines to rails. We both picked up a couple items for 10% their retail cost.
1: Yeah, I don't even own uh, an AK and 7.62x39, but I bought five magazines just because they were 99 cents each.
0: I really should have added some of those to my cart, but you could see those items disappearing off the website like as we were talking about it.
1: And Optics Planet had the Aimpoint Comp M4S uh, for sale for five hundred and forty-nine dollars, I believe. And that site is normally around eight hundred and fifty.
0: Not bad.
1: Handguns seem to be making up the bulk of sales for companies right now. Uh, everyone, you know, keeps hearing about how gun sales are so great right now. The vast majority of it are handguns. Very little of the sales right now are ARs and AR components.
0: I have to wonder if we're just We've finally reached saturation of the AR market, and that's going to cause some prices to drop. But then as the election grows closer, if things go the way they look like they're going to go, I have to wonder, are we going to see another boom in AR parts or AR rifle prices or magazines, for example?
1: That's really hard to say. I'm having trouble imagining less expensive ARs than we have
0: right now. Well, I think there's going to be a production buildup before the election. Just in preparation for a democratic victory. But if a Republican wins, then where are all those parts gonna go? They're gonna have to try and unload some of that somehow. And that's really the only way I could see prices dropping any lower than they are now. Well, maybe I shouldn't have bought all that stuff. Well, I think you could still turn around and sell those AK magazines for a dollar ninety nine apiece.
1: I'd be happy with doubling my money.
0: Hey, that's a better rate of return than gold. I think most people had forgotten about the Frog Lube article until I published it today. I got one question about it about a month ago. Prior to that, I think people had just forgotten that I was going to write about it, or they figured maybe Frog Lube had paid me off to not talk about their product or something. So how much did Frog Lube pay you? Well, the one time I tried to contact them for my bribe uh, and ask them if their product was the same as, what are the other ones called, Track Lube Plus and Seal one they just sent me a link to their FAQ on their website of like how to apply their product. And I was like, no, that's, that's not what I was asking. So I ended up calling them on the phone and asking them, Hey, is your product the same as track Lube plus? No, it is not. Is your product the same as seal one? No, it's not like it at all.
1: So seal one, I've never used it, but I have uh, opened a bottle of it and checked it out. It appears to be virtually identical to Frog Lube in consistency. It even comes in the exact same packaging.
0: Yeah, Track Lube Plus, I mean, they all come in little tubs. I ordered four-ounce tubs of each one, and other than the color and minor differences in smell, it'd be really difficult to tell them apart.
1: Is the name Seal One supposed to hint that Navy Seals use them?
0: I think it's supposed to be that it was designed by a seal. I'm pretty sure that's what it is
1: the instructions for Seal One and Frog Lube are virtually identical.
0: Yep, here we go. Seal One LLC's managing director, Dwight Settle, served 20 years as a Navy SEAL working in the most extreme environments.
1: He must know a lot about lube. Wasn't
0: Frog Lube supposed to be designed by a SEAL also?
1: I think it was.
0: You know, I think my big problem with Frog Lube And any other product like this is that they insist that you have to use like only their products on your gun and you have to use them in this exact sequence. And there's this like complicated instructional requirements for everything.
1: Yeah. I'd like using a lube that if I'm out in the desert shooting and my gun starts running a little bit sluggish, I can just spray or pour some on there and be good to go.
0: Yeah. And to me, if you can't hand a bottle of your lube slash cleaner to some 18 year old private first class straight out of boot camp and have him use it on his rifle without any instructions, then your product is useless. Like it it needs to be, a lube should not be complicated, nor should a, a cleaner. It should be something that you put on, scrub with, and then I guess if you want to use a separate product, fine, but put more stuff on and then the gun works. Like it should be that simple. It really doesn't need to be more complicated than that.
1: I find it very interesting that on FrogLube's website, uh, they talk about why FrogLube is awesome and mention that a lot of testing that's done on lube is inside of a laboratory and not in actual firearm performance. But then it goes on to say that a product may pass lab tests, but may tend to gum up actions or leave unwanted residues on the firearm. And just yesterday, actually, a customer came in to use the shooting range and his Ruger SR9 wouldn't fire, so I took a look at it. Uh, tried a dry fire test on it, and the striker—you uh, can—you can see the striker through the uh, the back of the pistol. Uh, it just very, very slowly moved forward. So I took it back in the Smith room, took the pistol apart, pulled the striker out, and there was a a dark brown, like sticky residue, like um, like a syrupy residue on it so i took it out to him and asked him you know what kind of lube he used and what he thought that might be and he said he'd only use frog lube on the on the uh, firearm so i cleaned it off and it worked perfectly fine after that but the frog lube and i've seen it on other firearms as well turned completely sticky gummed up the gun and frog lube's making it look like the, uh, other lubricants are causing firearms to get sticky when frog lube's probably the uh the worst offender
0: Right. I don't know how many people have told me that in cold temperatures, frog lube made their gun stop working. Um, And I've also heard about frog lube causing problems in glocks. In fact, a friend of mine is a sheriff's deputy in California, and his department banned frog lube from all their deputies using it because it was causing guns to stop functioning. Uh, Now, I guess you could say it was applied improperly. But again, that goes back to my previous point of you don't need a degree or some sort of crazy education, you shouldn't have to sit through a seminar to know how to use a product without it stopping your weapon from functioning. Now they also say here, Frog Lube is the only firearms care products company that uses exclusively bio-based and food grade ingredients to meet existing firearms operating and care requirements. Well, that's not true. We know from this round of testing that Frog Lube and Seal one are nearly identical, if not absolutely identical. They're very, very close. We know that, for example, fire clean is supposed to be food grade or bio-based or non-toxic, however you want to put it. But when they say things like, oh, you have to use it properly or it doesn't work, that gives them a convenient excuse. When it does cause problems, they can just blame it on user error. You didn't apply our product properly. Therefore, it's your fault. It's not our product's fault. But that shouldn't be an excuse at all.
1: I've never heard of someone using Mobile One on their firearm that used it incorrectly, which caused their gun to malfunction.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. But a lot of people will attack you for using Mobile One because it's not a gun product.
1: I think you could probably say that about most lubricants.
0: Well, in this case, if Frog Lube is identical to Track Lube, or very similar to Track Lube, which is literally a roller coaster Track Lube made for amusement parks, and you put it in a tub that has a gun on it, Does that make it a gun product now? So it's okay to use, whereas Mobile One, because it's not a gun product. So if I take some Mobile One and put a sticker with a gun on the bottle, now it's a gun product. It's okay to use on guns. I mean, I fired almost 2,800 rounds through a Spikes 545 AR five or six years ago. uh, And that rifle had no lube during that time. It started malfunctioning at about 2,650. I put one drop of FP10 in the cam pin hole and fired another five full magazines 150 rounds without any malfunctions that's pretty hard to beat so you're saying that lubricant
1: isn't even that important
0: no it really doesn't matter as long as you're using a good magazine and you have some sort of lubricant on your ar or your other firearm it's gonna work it's really that simple good ammo good mags some sort of lube uh, and a good baseline firearm in terms of quality and assembly it's gonna work it's it's not rocket science. But that doesn't make for good marketing. And some people want you to believe that if you don't use their product, uh, bad things are going to happen to you. And that's unfortunate, but a lot of people fall for that. And they will continue to fall for that uh, for as long as I'm alive. I'm absolutely certain of that and, and beyond. There will always be someone willing to listen to uh, a poorly concocted story about how good a product is and how bad everything else is. You know, speaking of 545 uppers, I actually took mine apart a couple months ago so I could use the rail and some of the other components now that uh, 545 surplus isn't being imported.
1: There's still quite a bit of 545 available out there for a pretty decent price.
0: Yeah, it's not terrible, and I still have quite a bit on hand. I I bought some a long time ago uh, when it was more readily available, but long-term it's going to be harder to get that caliber at the prices that we used to see. And I still have the 545 AK. I'm still shooting that, but I'm not shooting high volume amounts through an AR like I used to uh, at about a third the price of 5.56.
1: There is some Ukrainian Wolf that's starting to show up that's about the same price as case 223.
0: Yeah, and that's a good option if you have a 545 rifle you want to keep shooting a lot uh, as time goes by. I'll probably end up buying some of that for my 545 AK and putting my surplus aside. But in that case, if it's the same price as 223, why not buy 223 if you have an AR? If you're going to build a new rifle, why not build one in in 223, 556, whatever you want to call it. Uh, If you have a 545 AK, then, hey, that's a great rifle. It's fantastic. And you should definitely keep shooting it as I plan to do with mine. But the excitement I had for 545, say five years ago, uh basically disappeared when they determined that the uh when the atf determined that could no longer be imported
1: magpul is supposed to be announcing a 545 ak mag at shot show coming up so maybe that'll revitalize the 545 market a little bit
0: it could i definitely like uh more quality 545 ak mags on the market i mean i have a bunch of the good old bulgarian ones but the more magazines the better especially before anything happens politically.
1: So do you think there's any reason to go 5.45 unless you already own a 5.45?
0: If you want an AK, if you're really not invested in any particular caliber and you want an AK, or even if you want a semi-auto rifle, an AK-74 variant, a 5.45 AK is an excellent option. I really can't say that enough. It's a great rifle. If you want an AR, it just doesn't make sense anymore to me. And I think that kills a lot of the market, but it was an outside force that caused this. So unfortunately, I won't say 5.45 is dead, but it definitely took a hit to the gut. And I don't know if it'll ever come back in terms of where it was.
1: All right, Andrew, do you have any other shot show predictions?
0: Well, there's probably going to be some new caliber and we'll be promised that it'll do things so much better than every other caliber out there. And they'll sell a few rifles, and then it'll just sort of disappear, and we'll never see it again. And then you'll see one at a gun show like 15 years from now, and the guy will want like twice what it should be because it's rare. There's probably going to be some sort of single stack Glock in nine that's bigger than the one they came out with last year, at least I would hope. Like if Glock would just make basically what Carr has been making for a long time, that would be great.
1: I think we'll see the Smith & Wesson mid-size 9mm.
0: Like a Glock 19 size M&P? Yes. That's something that should have happened a long time ago that maybe will get people interested in M&Ps again. How about a new can from Silencer Co. that's already been done by Liberty? You know, why more companies don't just make mid-size carry guns just mystifies me. Like, everyone makes something really small that's hard to shoot, and then they make some full-size thing, but Glock makes the 19 and so few other companies make a gun that size when it's really ideal for a lot of different situations. I know you're not a Glock person, but it's just a good size handgun.
1: No, I, I don't especially love Glocks. Like I shoot them well. They're they're great guns. I do not understand why more people don't make a 19-sized gun. The Glock 19 is the perfect sized handgun.
0: Yeah, just it fills the average guy's hand. Uh, it has a long enough sight radius to be pretty shootable uh, at distance, uh, but you can still conceal it, and it has a yeah. good magazine capacity. It has a lot of stuff going for it.
1: Yeah, you don't give up any capacity. I I don't think you give up any shootability. I personally shoot the 19 better than the 17, but everyone thinks that they need to make one that's just a little bit bigger, a full-size gun that's you know, the 17 size, and then make one that's just a little bit bigger than the 26 to, I don't know, to make it seem like it's easier to hold or easier to shoot than the 26.
0: You know what? I really don't think I have any good SHOT Show predictions. I just have jokes, but unfortunately I think my jokes will probably become reality. Everything will be a game changer, something will be new and exciting and different, and then in a year everyone will have forgotten about it. Am I too cynical?
1: I am too, that's okay. A lightweight upper from Faxon.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's about the end of this podcast. We should make these podcasts more often than every six months i think we should you know we were waiting on the frog lube stuff to do this but we didn't realize it was going to be many months before the frog lube stuff would be done
1: yeah we kept putting it off you know for five more days until we thought the frog lube stuff would come back and we just kind of got busy i guess yeah another
0: settlement needed my help yeah all these settlements that need my help well, we promised to make these more often than we have in the past. And again, thank you all for listening. Hope you learned something or at least didn't fall asleep, especially if you listen to this while driving. This podcast brought to you by Banana Runts.